Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to The Educated Home Buyer, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. So Josh, everyone wants to buy at the low, sell at the high, essentially time the market. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the idea of timing the market. Can you do it? Is it realistic? Who, you know, are those that can actually get away with trying to time the market versus, you know, the typical buyer and seller out there? So Josh, let's Start today by talking about what, what does it actually mean to time the market? Pretty simple. Uh, it means that I am going to wait for an optimal entry point when prices are lower today or in the best case, the lowest possible and buy in at that point um, and or sell when prices are at a peak. And the reason why we're having this conversation today is we don't know if prices are at a peak, but historically we are at the current peak. If they do not go higher, this is the highest home prices have, have ever been. Not necessarily in real terms, meaning inflation adjusted, but in nominal terms, the actual actual dollar cost of any home that you buy today is as high as it's ever been. So you and I, um, mortgage professionals, real estate professionals around the country hear this all day, every day, um, and mainly from, from first-time buyers. Who's most concerned with getting the timing of their entry into the market right? It's not someone that's selling a $500,000 home to buy a $700,000 home. There's a little bit of risk there. It's the person who doesn't own a home at all and is entering at three or $400,000. Yeah, and it's scary. I mean, a lot of people, are, again, we've talked about this on other episodes, people you know, have um, memories, if you will, um, of not so long ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago, how long has it been now? 15 years ago, 2008, when we had a housing crash, right? People, you know, with regards to home prices and talking about a peak in prices, that was essentially the peak at that time. And so everyone wants to relate it back to then, but you know, timing the market is difficult. It's difficult in real estate. It's difficult in the stock market. It's difficult in crypto or, or whatever it is that you're trying to buy at a certain price and sell, you know, maybe or or think that you're trying to sell at a later price. But, you know, Josh and I, before we talk about, you know, the idea of, of your house being your home and, and that that sort of thing. You know, I, I always like to tell this story because as a real estate agent, I often have conversations with sellers and sellers a lot of times that have owned their properties a very long time. And so here in Huntington Beach, a lot of the properties, you know, were built in the 60s at some point. And occasionally I'll come across sellers that have owned their property since the 60s. They still own that that same piece of property. Maybe they live in it today um, or maybe at some point they turned it into a rental property, but they still own it. And oftentimes that conversation goes a lot like, you know, I bought this house for, you know, 20000 or maybe $80,000. And at the time, I had no idea how I was going to afford to make the payment. But I needed a house for my family. We were growing or whatever. And I thought there's no way home prices can go up from here. And here we are today where home prices are up tenfold, twelvefold, twentyfold, depending on where you're located from that original price. And you know, the idea of buying a house 
too many people today are treating it like an investment versus somewhere that you have to live. So Josh, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, I mean, for most of us, our house is our home. It's not an investment. And that's that's the critical difference here in terms of of thinking that that it trades solely as uh, an investment. So if you buy crypto, for the most part, why do people want crypto? Because it's going to be worth. It's going to make me rich, man. I'm going to be able to retire. And how and why? Because it's going to be worth more <laughs> in the future. Right. But today, none of us own crypto for its utility. You can't use Bitcoin for much of anything. Yeah, you'll go into a place that says, "Hey, we accept Bitcoin." Is anyone unless you paid? live in El Salvador? Even at that, I doubt that Salvadorians are running around rapidly paying for things with with Bitcoin. But the difference is it is a pure investment. Same thing with Tesla stock. What are you going to do with Tesla stock other than hope that Tesla continues to go up? So as soon as people become convinced that Tesla stock is no longer going to go up, they will sell it. Transaction costs are very low very easy to do you go onto your computer in about two minutes you don't have to consult any professionals you don't have to clean up your house you don't have to take pictures you don't have to put it in the multiple listing service you don't have to leave for weekends while uh, open houses are held you don't have to negotiate back and forth with buyers and sellers and then do inspections appraisals wait for contingency periods loan approval and then pay anywhere from five to eight percent of the value of your property if you go and you own a thousand shares of tesla you're sitting on a, a gold mine but you don't have to pay five to 8% of the value of those shares when you sell it. So long way of saying you hit on the important part that it's not just an investment uh, in, in that it actually does something for you. We all need shelter. So what are your options? You can rent shelter from someone else. You can live rent free with friends, family, um, the government, who, whoever's going to put a roof over your head, or you can own over time more than 60%, nearly 70% of American households choose to own. And if they sell because they're going to time the market, they have to go to one of those other alternatives. And that's a very small mi minority that's okay, a minority of Americans that's okay with going from owning their home and having a place of their own to sharing a home with someone else where it's free or having it provided for by the government. So there's strong resistance to that, which keeps prices um, sticky to the upside, which we've talked about a lot. And then the transaction costs are another reason. If you thought that you, you know, you and I looked at an article this morning, a guy's projecting that in the next year and a half that home prices are gonna drop 5%. You don't save anything by selling your house. You're guaranteeing that you're losing 5% of the value of your home and you just gave up your shelter. So one of the really big, big reasons why single family residences and condominiums and townhomes do not trade and perform the way most people think of an investment when they're watching stocks, bonds, gold, crypto, that type of stuff. No, I, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, I've had clients many times over, over the years try to time the market. And and let's, you know, I'm not crapping on anybody that wants to, to get a property and get a deal and, and, and have it appreciate over time because that's the goal for all of us. I just don't think you can go in with that mindset initially, unless you're an investor. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So, you know, clients over the years have, have thought, you know, back and I can take you back to 2019. Home prices at that point had, had again, they not reached, they were at a peak at that time because they had surpassed levels of, of 2008. You know, most home values had reached back above where they were at that time. And People thought this is it. And they sold their property with the idea that, hey, listen, I'm going to wait until the market pulls back and then I'm going to re-enter. 
well, we saw the craziest appreciation in a two-year period that we've ever seen historically, you know, where there were gains somewhere between 30 and 40% for many markets out there. And those people that sat on the sidelines hoping for the pullback, well, they really got screwed because the market continued to appreciate and no one knew that was going to happen. And that's, I, I guess, the concern or the idea is that, you know, whether regardless of what you think the market's going to do, you know, the saying is that the markets can rem remain irrational longer than you can say can, longer than you can stay solvent. And so in the idea that, hey, listen, the markets are irrational, they have to pull back or, you know, this stock is acting crazy. It has to pull back and then the markets continue to accelerate. That's, you know, unfortunately, timing the market is is very, very difficult, Josh. Well, so Jeb, th yeah. that, that last thing you said, irrational, another word for that. You and I looked at um, uh, a piece of marketing from an investor who's really tuned into home values and home economics, yep. um, the economics of buying and selling real estate. And his word was, this is clear evidence that we've reached a euphoric stage. Euphoria can be defined as a form of irrational. Yep. But is it? It's easy for us to look back and go, this is irrational or this is euphoric. But I can also give you the reasons why this happened. Markets don't just go nuts. Home values dropped. People were able to become location independent, move to different parts of the country yep. where homes <clears throat> were, were lower priced and they could take their income with them. Um, we were locked in our homes. Home became more important. We had government stimulus, so people had money in their pockets. We had an inability to go out of our homes and spend money, so saving was easier. So if I told you all those things were going to occur and asked you, what do you think is going to happen with home values, you would rightfully go, well, they're going to go up. None of us projected they were to go up as much as they did, but it was a rational outcome based off of the inputs that buyers were getting the, the last few years. And so I question calling something irrational just because it's above where it has been in the past. Well, that's fair. And, and so one thing you didn't even mention there is, is the idea of interest rates reaching all-time lows. And so you had buyers out there that were kind of pent up that were probably buyers at the early part of 2020 that because of the pandemic and and maybe job situation or whatever got put on hold and kind of pushed them towards the end of 2020 maybe even into 2021 and then you had we've talked about this maybe some demand pulled uh forward back you know in that 2021 early 2022 period because interest rates were so low buyers looking to take advantage of the market then versus maybe now or in 2023 or 2024 when their original time frame was to buy it they wanted to take advantage of the market then and we had the low supply why partly due to demand partly due to a lack of building just a lot of factors thrown into the market that created you know uh euphoria if you will um with regards to home buying and so again just getting around to the idea that it's it's difficult to time the market we've talked in the past about when it's a good idea for for you, right? It's it's everybody's timing isn't going to be the same. Me buying a house for my family is going to be different than maybe the reasons that you're buying a house, you know, for for your family uh, or what have you. So you just gotta, you know, make sure you're making the right decisions for you. And we've talked about episodes in the past where you know why home ownership is important with the idea of of when. It's a good idea to buy a house. So go back and check out those episodes if you haven't heard them. But let's talk about who can time the market, Josh. And then also, 
who is most affected by trying to time the market. So first, who are the people that should be or are, are a little bit more able, if you will, to time a market uh, like we're in now or any market for that matter? Well, there's a, a giant difference between let's just say three different groups. There's investors, people who own real estate purely for its cash flow and its ability to appreciate and to improve their financial future. There's homeowners that currently own their home and have been long-term home homeowners. Then there's recent home buyers and first-time buyers looking to enter the market. So the difference between those two groups is first-time home buyers and recent home buyers haven't had time to build up a bunch of equity in their home. They haven't got time to adjust to the thought, I'm a homeowner, I own my home and, and I live here. So kind of would be more open to the idea of getting in and out. So going back to that, an investor is probably going to take a long-term time horizon. Now, if they bought in 2013, you know, when we're still near the lows and they've seen that home go up, you know, 200% in value or 100% in value, 150% in value over the last 10 years, there's some investors out there that would say, hey, you know what, this is a peak. I never thought this home would be worth this much. I'm getting a little bit older. My father-in-law recently sold two duplexes that he built back in the 90s. Never in his wildest dreams do you think they would be worth what they are today. He's in his 70s. He's like, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the maintenance, the headaches, the trouble. So for him, it was a good time to sell. So investors can do that. Investors can look at something of saying, hey, I have this property. It's kind of a crappy property next to the train tracks. It's a one bedroom. So we've had a hard time selling it, keeping good tenants in there. That value is high enough that I can take that and get a three bedroom, two bath on the other side of town. So they're not getting out of the market. They're using this as an opportunity to rotate up, or they might get out of the market and come back in in a year or two if and when home prices drop. You have that group in the middle, the long-term homeowners, you know, both you and I, I, I don't think it's something where we'd sit here and say, hey, let's uproot our families and give up our long-term homes. You've been in yours almost 10 years. I've been in mine almost 20 years. It's not, that's not generally a thought for them. Well, the homes. difference in the two is typically an investor <clears throat> owns their primary home and then they own investment properties outside of that. Some investors might just own investment properties and, and not own a primary home. They may rent. That's typically not, not the way it goes, but you know, when, with the person that owns a, a primary home by selling an investment property, it doesn't change their life. They, they don't have to worry about shelter. They don't have to worry about where do I go if I sell this property? What if the market, you know, uh, continues to move up from here? Because it's an investment, right? Because they're looking at it differently than that of a homeowner. So it makes the, you know, it gives them an opportunity to look at it a little bit differently versus the person, the homeowner that owns their home, me say today, I decide to go sell my property. Well, if I sell my property and buy something, you know, uh, comparable, right? Family of, of five, we need, a, you know, at least a three bedroom, four bedroom, preferably. If I go rent a property in this market today for what my family needs in my market, I'm paying minimum five grand, probably six to seven grand. And guess what? That's double what my current housing payment is. So that to me doesn't make any financial sense. Well, I could go sell and buy something else. Maybe there's an opportunity there. But if I sold and sat on the sidelines waiting for the market to pull back, I would have to wait for the market to pull back considerably to even get something close to what I have now. So it just, you know, I, I was fortunate that when I bought in 2012, it was the right time in my life. You know, first child, just got married looking, you know, for a, a something to call my own just happens to be that I, I caught the market before it started to accelerate, you know, and I'm not, um, even as a, a real estate agent, 
I'm not looking at the property worrying about what the value is going to be tomorrow. I'm thinking, can I afford to make this payment? If the market turns, real estate sells slow down, can I continue to do this? Is this the right house for my family? Is this the right location? Is this where we want to be when the kids start going to school? Those are the things I'm considering versus what's it going to be worth tomorrow, Josh? Same thing. My mortgage statement came last night. So we're sitting down to dinner. I popped it open and I don't look at it. It's on auto payment. But for whatever reason, I looked at it last month or last night and, and saying it would cost somewhere $5,500 to $6,500 a month to rent my house. We got a couple thousand dollars a month savings to that. $1,300 of that goes to principal every month, just principal reduction. So I don't have that money anymore. I have to write that check, but it's essentially I'm putting it into a savings account over there. So in real terms, what does it cost me in interest, taxes, insurance to live in my house? It's about $2,500 a month, less than half of what it would cost to rent it. So it's not really a viable option to, to sit out and try and time the, the market. And Jeb, you know, one of the things that we didn't go into that I want to touch on briefly is everyone likes to think that they have the emotional control to, to just irrationally, dispassionate, rationally and dispassionately think about the home purchase and home prices. I can tell you, you guys probably get tired of hearing me say this. 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, I was screaming from the rooftops to anyone that would listen, buy a house. You could go out to one of our first time markets uh, here like Anaheim and buy a home for $300,000, $325,000. It costs less to own it than to rent it with a minimum down FHA loan. Um, even here in, in Huntington Beach, low end entry level 11, 1200 square foot homes were going for 450, 475 at that time. Anyone could have, should have, would have bought and yet you would tell people, and because home prices had, had dipped and the, the memory of 2007, 2008 was so strong in their mind, they wouldn't buy. When we bought and flipped our first house in, in late 2008, people told us we're nuts. I'm like, well, we're buying it for 265. The guy paid 685 for it. And yes, there's a very low, 685, like two and a half years before, there's a very low volume of transactions going on, but there's also a very low volume of nice homes on the market. So we're going to take 50 grand, make this thing really nice, add another 50,000 profit onto it and sell it. And we did. So we sold it low because the market was low. And that guy ended up buying, I think, 385, 395. He bought that $265,000 house from us. And here, you know, still owns the house 13 years later, 2008, 14 years later. And that house would be approaching $800,000. He bought for less than 400. So long way of saying the emotions of being able to set aside um, that, that, fear that the market's going to drop more and step back in at the right point and not wait to see home prices start going up again. Um, it's just most people don't don't have it. They don't have the ability well, to emotionally sell their house at the top of the market and go rent something. And they don't have the ability to step back in emotionally uh, when they see a bottom or what should be a bottom. Well, that that's I think that's the, the, the caveat there, right, is that you know, even when the market starts to pull back, which which we've talked about it, that there's a possibility that you see some price declines in some markets out there. When the price declines happen, most of those that have been sitting on the sidelines are going to be timid. You know, they're not going to be the ones jumping back in the market at that time because they want want hope to see prices go down further. The, but the smart money, the investment money is out there buying those properties. And guess what? By the time those people that said they would be buyers if the market pulled back, you know, but by the time they've decided to buy, many times the market's gone back up. Uh, but Josh, here's what I'll say. Let's, before we talk about who's at the greatest risk of timing the market, which we've kind of hinted on a little bit, what do you say to the person that's looking at you and I going, 
Well, you guys have owned your property 10 plus years. You guys have a ton of equity. You're fortunate enough to get a, a super low rate locked in. So yeah, of course you don't have any concerns, but what about me? I'm, I'm a buyer coming into the market today, looking at where home prices have gone. Interest rates are up. Like, how do you approach that person looking at today's market? I, I will acknowledge that all of those things are true. And it is not, despite what some people will tell you, it is not always a great time to buy. You have to look at your finances, your ability to make the payment, not stretch beyond your means and make sure that it's the right time in life for you. Because we're absolutely at elevated prices right now, which increases the risk to uh, an entry buyer stepping into the market. But the, the best story I, I can tell you is uh, a friend of my wife's, uh, her parents bought. We did a loan for them in 2006. We told them all of the warning signals. Home prices are at a high. This is what it is. And they had told me, I've rented for the last 18 years. We paid $265,000 in rent through that time. I'm not going to do this again. We're going to live in this house for the next 20 years until we retire. And I don't care what happens with values. We both have good jobs. We've been on our jobs for 15 years. We can afford that payment. We're going to sit here and make it. And they bought darn near the top of the market. It dropped about 40 to 50% from, from where they purchased it. They still live in that house today and it's gone up 120% from where they purchased it. And now they owe 240, $250,000 on a million one, million two property. So that is the absolute perfect inverse of timing the market. They bought near the top yep. and then just held and, and wrote it out. So that that is the thought process that you have to think. What's the worst thing that could happen? What happened to them was the worst thing that could happen. And it was not a problem because they had a long-term time horizon. So that's that's what I say. Don't don't think that you're going to get rich quick in real estate with prices where they are today. Um, don't think that you have to buy um, and, and make a pressured decision to get into the market. But when everything else lines up, your finances, your life stage, all of that, your desire to own a home um, and the stability in your life in, in every regard, when that lines up, I, I wouldn't be afraid of buying in this current market. I would be cautious of buying in the current market. No. And that's I mean, that's great advice, Josh. I mean, and, and that I kind, I kind I'm more or less leads us into that that last uh, question that I was, you know, that I was um mentioning earlier, and that's who's at the greatest risk of, of trying to time the market. And you've already mentioned one um, is those that have a shorter term time horizon, those that, you know, are, are already know that they're not going to be living maybe in the same city, the same area, the same job, um, same state in the next two years, right? Those people are at a higher risk of having something negatively affect the value of their home or not necessarily the value of their home, but maybe not having the the equity there um, based on transaction cost to sell a property to be able to come out ahead. You know, if the market moves sideways or if it goes down a couple of percent, those that have the shorter term time horizon are the most affected. I mean, I saw a graph that came out last night that I, I, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I can send it to you. And it shows, you know, uh, a basically when home prices peaked and how long it has taken to get back to that peak in the future. And I think during the eighties, it was like 11 years, you know, from, from peak to trough back to peak, you know, where that peak meets. And then in 2008, I think it was 14 years that it took to go from, for some markets, not, not every market, some, some markets appreciated faster, but from where the peak was in say 2006 
to get back up was 2020 for, for many markets out there. So it took a 14-year time horizon for that to happen. But over time, prices have continued to rise. So those with the shorter-term time horizons could be affected. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier first-time homebuyers. Josh, why first-time homebuyers? Simply because they don't have the big down payment. You know, a move-up buyer has built up some equity. Use yourself. You would have a very large down payment if you sell your house and buy into a new home. So you wouldn't be at risk of a home price uh, crash because you would have a bunch of equity. Now, if you were looking entry-level home in this market and you want to go buy an $800,000 house, 5% down, you know, a 5% market correction is, is pretty easy to occur. So first-time buyers just don't generally have um, the, the skin in the game in terms of equity that they're putting in terms of a down payment. They haven't had the last couple of years. They're the first-time buyer in 2020. They're not at risk. The market's up 35%. So say they put 3% down, they have almost 40% equity in their home. Um, and again, they didn't know that at that time. We had every reason to believe that, you know, four, five, 6% appreciation was coming, but not the monster appreciation of the last few years. So there's always a little risk to a first time buyer. And the reason why it's not there for move up buyers is because they've had the opportunity of time, uh, appreciation, and principal reduction to build up a, a little nest egg and have more money and more uh, investment into the new property. No, and, and all first-time home buyers aren't necessarily going to fit into that um, that category, right? We're kind of um, profiling a little bit with regards to first-time home buyers. Those first-time home buyers that are putting large down payments um, down are, are going to be less affected by that sort of thing. But it's you know it's it's typically the people putting less money down in a market that moves sideways to to down a couple percent are are going to be affected the most. And those, lastly, that aren't buying for the right reasons. Those that are truly buying because they saw a video online or, or trying to house hack or trying to do something where it really wasn't the right time for them. They were just trying to make money in real estate. And sometimes that works out, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, buying, you know, with the fear of missing out isn't the right reason to buy a house. You know, I mean, we, we mentioned it earlier, getting married, having a fiance, having kids or whatever it is in your life plan and you need more space, you need you know, you're ready to to set down your roots, build a foundation if you will. That, those are the right reasons to buy real estate versus, you know, the idea of of truly trying to buy it strategically to make money, you know, and, and trying to to time the market, Josh. For for the vast majority of people for all of the reasons that we mentioned, Timing the market's not a reality. You're not going to to do it. You're not going to do it successfully. So the important thing, again, is to step back, analyze the market, know uh, logically and realistically where we're at, and know yourself and where you're at and have a long enough time horizon um, that it, it, it doesn't matter. Now, if you've owned homes for the last 40 years and you've bought and sold and you're really in tune to market cycles um, and you want to take that risk, by all means. But, you know, Jeb, how many people did you and I have in 2020, in 2021 saying, oh, this market's nuts. I'm going to wait until next year. I can save up some more money and I'm going to buy at a lower price. It, the, the, so many that it would it would take a full episode to name them all. So here's the deal. If you're looking at the market, wondering what the second half of the market's going to look like, we filmed an episode last week uh, giving you a mid-year forecast as to where we see the market headed. Um Josh and I's thoughts, you know, based on where we've been, where we are now. So take a listen to that. Let us know what you think. But in the meantime, we'd appreciate it if you rate and review us on your 
pod, on whatever podcast platform you use. We appreciate it. We'll be here again next week, giving you more information to help you become the educated home buyer. Until then, we appreciate you listening. Have a great day. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.